0: Well, We are continuing our study in 1 Peter. Um, I am keeping a notebook of all of Josh's funny moments in life. Uh, Having him around has definitely been um, a lot of fun. In fact, if I can tell this story just real quick. Um, We went to a conference here a little while ago, and and we're sitting down at the table, and uh, this is one of my, my more funny moments, but... We're sitting there, and these people from Northern California show up, and, and Josh is from Northern California, if you don't know that. But but Josh's like, "Hey, I know them." And so the the lady comes and she sits down, and and Josh is like, "Oh, finally a, a friendly face around here," and the lady just kind of looks at him, kind of stumped, and and then he he kind of continues on, and he's like. Uh yeah you know I've been to your church and you know he's going on and, and she's just kind of leaving this blank stare and finally I just had to interject I'm like Josh she has no idea who you are so that was that was the first uh, that was the first funnyism and then today I'm, I'm supposed to pray right this is church so that'll, that'll definitely go down in in the books I like having Josh around has been a blast and and we do um, we do kind of poke fun at each other sometimes that's the funny fun part of being staff and working together throughout the week. Uh, I'm sure Josh has plenty of funny memories with me. So I suppose the next time he does a message, I don't know, maybe you're going to hear something there as well. we are, are moving through this book, and if, if you're new to Involved Church, first of all, I'd like to say welcome. Uh, we want to tell you where we're at. We're going through the book of First Peter. It's a letter that was written to people almost 2,000 years ago who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They're following Christ, but they're going through a difficult time, a time where there's some struggling and some uh, persecution for their faith. And so Peter writes to the, the audience here, and he wants to encourage them and tells them to hang on to their faith. Pursue Christ. Continue your relationship with Christ. Build that relationship. Continue to be the church. Go out there and spread the good news. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the hope for all people. And so that's the message that Peter is giving to them, and that's why we've come to, to this as our series, to be recruited, that's our, our overall, that's our word that we're, we're working with, but the statement is we're recruited out of our mess, out of our messy life, our messy situation, to make him known. And it's pretty amazing that God would choose a person like me. And you can go, if you want to, if you want to go through the whole practice, go look in a mirror and say, okay God, what do you want to do with this mess? But you look at yourself and you're like, look at all the things. I can go through a list of all the things I do that are wrong. And I can say, this is, these are things that God would not want. And yet he still loves me. He still wants to do something with this mess of a person. And, and so he starts that process by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to us. And the Holy Spirit comes in us. And he begins working on us and developing a character and developing a gifting within us that he can use for his goodwill and good pleasure. We are recruited out of our mess to make him known. So as we've gone through this, this series so far, we've talked about what that means to be recruited out of our mess. And we're called to be taken out of, of that messy situation and to live in hope. That we have something else to live for. We're not living for this world. We're not living for the things that this world has to offer us. We're not living for all those things that come across our commercials or come across our phone. When we're looking at Facebook or whatever. You know, hey, pop up. Look at what you need to buy to be happy. We're not looking to that for our hope. We're looking to Christ for our hope. He's our eternal hope, right? So he, tell, he challenges us at the beginning. He then says we're called to be holy. We're recruited out of our mess to be holy. To be set apart, God is almighty. He's the one who is, our, the one who is, is you know, set apart above all things. And then he calls us to be like him, like him in our character, like him in our conduct. And we're not going to be powerful like God. We're not going to become gods, but we need to be like him in our attitude and in our character. He calls us to be his people, to look like him. Um, it's not uncommon for anybody who knows my family to see our kids and they'll say, man, they look like a Frank. I don't know what that means exactly, but for some reason to other people, they'll say that, man, you look like a Frank. And that's the way it kind of is. It's just you look like your family, and that's the idea. As, As believers in Christ, we are to look like our family. We are to look like our Father, to be his people. So he calls us to be taken out of our mess and to live in this hope. And then we moved into this section, which is to be... Uh, to make him known with a godlike conduct. And we started talking about how we're to do that under all authority. It could be governing authorities, right? We're called to have a Christ like conduct at our workplace, our environment there. It may not be a great environment, but we're still called to have a Christ like conduct there. And we're ha- called to have a Christ like conduct in our marriage. And as we do those things, as we live out our faith in those areas of life, we will actually begin to be a witness and a testimony to the people out and about and around us. And they'll see, hopefully within us, that we have hope and that we're holy, set apart, becoming like Christ, and that we're His people. So He's asked us to make Him known. With godlike conduct, and this is where we're going today, he's asked us, he's recruited us to make him known to everyone, including the difficult. Not just our friends, not those that we just like to hang out with, but everyone. Even the people we don't like, even the people who are difficult, even the ones when we say something to us, they seem to say something back that's hurtful. Recruited to make him known even to the most difficult. So our key verse for the whole series is this one. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises. Okay, that's our key section of that verse even. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. That's our mess. In a sinful world out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're going to walk in that marvelous light. Now, a question I have for you. How do we then proclaim or share this Jesus when people, all people want to hear is is how to live a good life? How do we take the message that we have, how do we take the truth of Jesus Christ and give it to people who really their only concern is, I just want to live a good life. I just want to get to this life with, with ease. I want to be happy. Happiness is our goal. How do we share Jesus Christ with people like that? I'll give you even more example. Let's say that you had a book, or maybe you wrote it, or maybe you mastered it, and you could go out there and you could give seminar after seminar on five things you can do that in five years will make you a millionaire. Guaranteed. Do you think you'd have a lot of people showing up at that seminar? Most likely, yeah. Why not? Because Why? Because people want... You know, the secrets of success, like, oh, how can I make a million bucks? And boy, if I can do that in five years, then maybe in the next five years I can make even more and, you know, it just keeps growing. That's what success will be. That'll be the good life. What if this week, as a church, we put an ad out there on social media and it said something like this, hey, come to Involve Church this week, you're guaranteed to leave with a $1,000 in your pocket. You think it might be a little more full next week? Absolutely, right? Because people want money. That's success. That's the good life. Just give me some money. Man, if churches just handed out a million dollars instead of Jesus, we'd be packed. But we have something that's so much more valuable than a million dollars. Something much greater. But if you're focused and if you're consumed with this life, this earth, and the good things on this life then Jesus is something you're going to push aside and you're going to pursue what will bring you happiness on this earth. And that's typically money. So the challenge I have this morning for us is to follow Jesus beyond the good life, to let go of this world, to put it behind us, and say, you know what, I'm not living for this world, I'm not pursuing the things of this world. Yeah, it might bring some temporary happiness, but it's not going to bring eternal happiness, so let's move past it. I'm not going to tell you to go out and quit your job tomorrow, okay? But I'm going to tell you that we need to push past that. Yes, we have responsibilities. Yes, we have jobs to provide for that. You know those responsibilities, those types of things. But we push past it. That's not where our joy is. That's not where our hope is. Because our hope is in Christ. We're recruited out of our mess to make Him known. We're recruited out of our mess to have hope in Him, eternal hope. So let's follow Jesus beyond the good life. First Peter three eight through seventeen. Let's pray, Father we are excited to be able to open your word together, look at it, read it, understand it, take it into our lives, and do so much more with it than just put it into our heads. God, we want to take it and, and, and put it into our lives, process it so it goes through and out our feet and our hands so we're, we're walking out of this place hungry and thirsty for you and pursuing you. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 7. Let's 17, excuse me. So let's start with verse 8. Finally, that's the first word. So you go back and you look at what he's talked about so far. And right before this, he's talked about how we are to you know, follow uh, or, or respect the, the uh, governing authorities over us, how we're to work in our environment, and how we're to have a godlike conduct in our marriage. So if you were to wrap all that up, he says, finally. All of you, then, be like-minded. All of you, be like-minded, be united, be thinking the same way. Well, how does a church, how do people of Christ think the same way? Well, we put Christ in the center of our lives. If we put ourselves in the center of our lives, then there's going to be 7 to 8 billion different ways on this earth to live, right? That's how many people there are. If in our church we all think in the same, we're all thinking for ourselves, then there's going to be over a hundred different ways. We're going to go different directions, and and we're going to be going in in, down different paths. He says, "No, we need to be like-minded, so we need to come together." Here's the thing: for a church to be healthy, for a church to grow and and be used by God, we've all got to be united. And the quickest way to become united is to think on Christ. The easiest and fastest way to divide a church is for all of us to be selfish. Right? If we come through those doors and we're thinking to ourselves, hey, how can this church serve me? Then I become the center of attention in the church. But if we come through those doors and we're thinking, man, how are we going to worship Christ today? And how can I be an encouragement to the other body of believers or the the people who are coming into the church? Man, we're going to be focused on, on Christ and focused on others. That's what it means to be like-minded. We're coming in, pursuing him, and loving other people. He moves on. He says, then be sympathetic. So then we're putting ourselves, like compassion, putting ourselves in other people's shoes and trying to understand where they're at. So when we walk through the doors, we're not just thinking to ourselves, boy, I hope everybody comes up and gives you some cheery, hi, how you doing, and everything's hunky-dory, and we're moving on with our day, and all big you know, smiles. But we walk in, and we're thinking, I wonder, what, I wonder what Tim's day's been like. I wonder what his week's been like. Maybe I walked by and Tim didn't say hi to me. I felt like he gave me the cold shoulder this morning. Maybe Tim must be mad at me. you ever thought that? Not of Tim necessarily, but you of know, somebody else. I don't know what's going on in Tim's life. Maybe if I approach it and I think, hey, maybe Tim's having a bad week. Maybe I should go and encourage him. Maybe I should ask him, how's your week been? Has it been really st- difficult? How can I be praying for you? Maybe if the goal is that I'm going to care for Tim rather than Tim caring for me, I'm thinking about those things instead of how Tim treating me. And we need to come into the church and be like-minded and be thinking about how do I love Christ? How do I love God? How do I love others? We need to be sympathetic. We need to love one another, he goes on to say. And not love one another in the way that the world defines love. Because the way the world defines love is oh, it's all about feelings and how I feel. But the way that... God defines love, the way the Bible defines love, is more of a sacrificial love. Love is patient, love is kind, It is not envy, it is not jealous, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. All those things that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. We, we love like Christ's love. Could you imagine if our church had this reputation in Nampa that when people walk through the doors, they're like, man, that is a church. They're kind of crazy. In fact, they love so well. When I leave there, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, there's nothing they love more than Jesus and each other. That would be a pretty incredible testimony, wouldn't it? Those people at Involved church love Jesus and they love each other. That's the kind of testimony we want to have. And I think that's what Peter's telling us here in this passage. Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. And then that word, which we don't really like very much, is humble. In order to get there, we have to be humble. We have to think less of ourselves and more of Christ. We have to think less of ourselves and more of the people that are around us. That takes Humility. So he challenges us in that way. He goes on to verse 9. He says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. So this is the time when we get into the difficult people. When somebody insults you, we're not out there paying back with another insult. When somebody does something that feels evil or feels wrong towards you, we're not looking for ways to make them pay for it. When we walk through the doors or we're on a phone call or we get a text or we see somebody at the grocery store and we feel like they're avoiding us and you know, going behind on the other side and pretending like they didn't see us or something like that. I know you guys do that to me. It's all right. No. We don't go, man, what am I going to do on Sunday to make them feel bad? We're not thinking that way. Instead, we're thinking, man, I want to love that person. I don't know what's going on in that person's life. I want to be gracious towards them, compassionate towards them, patient towards them. How do we do that? Let's not pay back evil for evil. Let's not insult because we were insulted. On the contrary, let's give a blessing. Let's care for them. Since you were called for this, you were recruited for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Because doing what God wants us to do is a really good thing. Doing what God wants us to do is something that he rewards. Doing what God wants us to do, we have confidence that we're standing with him in the right place. If we disobey God, and we're going to see this as we move forward, when we disobey God, his face is against us. He is against us. He's going to to discipline us. When we listen to him, he blesses. When when we don't listen to him, he disciplines. I think that's a, a biblical principle that we see. So the first point that I have for this morning to just kind of chew on for a little bit is we need to join a CrossFit church in order for this to happen. And I hope you can look at, at and involve and say, you know what, involves a CrossFit church. Now some of you are going, you're looking at me going, obviously he's not a CrossFit pastor. Because okay? <laughs> you're thinking about people working out. But what I'm talking about here is people who are ready to, to bear the cross of Christ. Are you ready to take on the cross of Christ. To make some sacrifice. And go out into the world and live for him. That's what we want to do as a church. Is help people live for Christ. Outside these doors. So that when you go back to your workplace. When you go back into your neighborhood. When you're with your friends. When you're wherever you are throughout the week. That you are bearing the name of Christ, wherever you go. Join a CrossFit church. Now, to share a little story with you. When I, uh, when I first started preaching uh, at a church, rural church over in, in Washington, I started going through um, you know, some series along the way. And, and we went through a series at one point where we took the entire Bible. We, I was challenging the whole church to read through the Bible and I, I did something probably really foolish, and at the end I said, I would never do that again. I would preach through the Bible in a year. And I would just take out main concepts and, and try to preach through that. Um, and so I was going through this, this series, and at the time there was a, a, a family that moved into this rural community, which is you know a little more unusual in a rural community to see. And it was a doctor, and he started coming to church, and I remember some people in the church like, ooh, you know, it's like in a, in a small church like that, you're like, ooh, there's somebody in the community, and they're coming to our church. We're going to jump on them, you know, type of thing. And so it felt like that kind of happened a little bit, and they started coming to church. In about two months into them attending the church, they asked uh, my family to come over and and have dinner with them. So we did. We went over, and and we had dinner together, and then uh, they pulled my wife and I into the living room. We started chatting a little bit, and then they kind of Lowered the boom on us. They said, Hey, we want to just tell you, as we're kind of just observing what's going on in your church, I'll kind of summarize here. I want you to know basically your church is kind of young and immature. And when you when you preach and teach, it feels kind of young and immature. In fact, he kind of he went on to say this. He went on to say, My fifth grade daughter understands your messages. And I think what he was trying to say was, you basically speak like a fifth grader. It's kind of the way I took it, you know, like, oh, man, wow, oh, great. And that's kind of the way I left that discussion, like, with my head down. And I walked out, and I remember Rebecca and I talking a lot about it for the next probably several months, like, okay, is that true? How do I deal with that? Is there something I need to do? Do I need to up my vocabulary so that I don't feel like I'm talking to fifth graders and then as I started to process through it I thought you know what I don't mind it if fifth graders can understand the message and then it, time went on a little bit further and I'm like you know if people are growing that's a mature church and then God taught me another lesson as I was growing going along in that situation and that was simply this, that guy in the community about a year later he ended up Leaving and leaving a really bad legacy as far as morality goes. And what I learned that whole situation is that he knew a lot of terms, he knew a lot of theology, and he wanted to hear that in church, but his life did not match up to it. And from that whole situation, what I decided through it is, yeah, I could come up on a Sunday morning, And I could talk theology, and we could sit down and we can discuss about infralapsarianism versus superlapsarianism if you want. I could throw big words like that out there if you want. But that's not going to help you bear the cross of Christ. Finally, all of you be like-minded. This is my passion. This is my desire in preaching and teaching. In a half hour to 40 minutes, I get on a Sunday with you guys to help you be like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, helping us walk through that, not, not insult for insult, but instead giving a blessing and caring for one another and loving for one another. Because what I want and what my desire is for a church is that when we leave this place, people say, that is a church that loves Jesus. And it's a church that loves each other. Maybe they have some great vocabulary. I don't care. Maybe, they're, maybe they feel like they're better than everybody else because they know so much more. But if that's the desire, I think we missed the mark. We can know a whole lot. A whole lot. But if we don't love, it's only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You can look it up, 1 Corinthians 13.1. I don't want to be a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. I want the words to come out to speak the truth and impact people's hearts and lives. So hopefully you would say, Involved Church is a CrossFit church. It's helping me prepare to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. So when you walk out those doors, you're feeling encouraged and ready to go forward out into the world with the name of Jesus Christ on your back. He goes up forward and he quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. But here in this passage, this is the way he summarizes it. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, which hopefully is the case for all of us, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes, that takes hard work on my part. It takes discipline on my part. If someone's going to start throwing some insults at me, or they're going to start throwing some criticism at me, or I get called into one of those meetings like I just talked about, it's hard for me not to want to speak back, lash out, insult, whatever it may be. It takes discipline. And we're called to show that kind of discipline in our life. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So those people that come into our lives and hurt us, those people that come in and say things about us and insult us, he tells us here that we need to seek peace with them. We need to pursue peace with them. That's more important than than learning what peace is. We can go through and have an entire word study on what peace is. And we could feel all spiritual and knowledgeable because we can tell you in the Greek what the word peace is. But let me tell you something. If you're not seeking peace, God's like, so what? So you know the vocabulary. But are you doing the thing? Are you living it out? Let him seek peace. Let him pursue it. Be hungry for it. Go after it. Seek peace with the people we have. Why? Well, verse 12 tells us, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. When we follow the Lord... We know we're with him. We know we're going in the right direction with him. We know that there's a blessing and we're right with him. We have confidence that we're doing what he wants us to do. But when we're not, when we're disobeying God, we have to understand it's very clear in Scripture, God disciplines those he loves, right? If we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we're like, I don't want to really listen to God, we're going to be disciplined because God's going to bring us back. He's going to be working to bring us back. The more we fight with God, the more he pushes against us. So follow, do what's right, listen to him. Now, if we're getting fit and we want to put the name of Christ on us and walk out there to be his witness and testimony, at times we're going to have to push through the pain. At times it's going to be difficult. We're going to find difficult people to love. We're going to have somebody sit us down and go, Pastor Ryan, when you speak, it's like speaking to a fifth grader. Okay, well, that's kind of hard to take, but all right, if that's what you would say. We're going to have things like that in our lives, right? And you've probably had something like that happen to you at some point in time. You have to push through that. You can give up. You say, I'm done. I could have given up then. I could have gone home and said, all right, kids, we're packing up. We're going somewhere else. I'm done. Or you can push through the pain, push through the difficulty. So verse 13 goes on. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Now, it makes some sense to think, I'm just out there doing what's right and doing what's good. Nobody's there to harm me. But the truth of the matter is, there are people out there that even when we do what's right, even when we follow God, are still going to want to harm us, still going to want to insult us. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. So if you're pursuing Him and you're doing right, great. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. And he makes this contrast now, and he says, the world out there is living a life, and that life is for worldly things, and they want the good life, and they want to be happy, and they want to be content on this earth, and so they pursue things like material possessions, they pursue things like knowledge, they pursue things like a title, they pursue things like money, they pursue all the things that the world has to offer them, and they're afraid that if they don't have that, they're not going to amount to anything, and they're not going to be valuable, and they're not going to be worthy. There are churches that will help you pursue all those things. We're not one of those. We're a church that's going to help you pursue Christ. Because that's where real hope is. Don't be intimidated. Don't live in fear. Don't think, I'm never going to keep up with the Joneses. That's okay. Because we're here to pursue Christ. Right? I hear a couple amens. Some of you are like, man... I don't like this message very much. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, in your hearts. Um, very specific here, internally. It's not just with our mouths, it's not just lip service, it's not just knowledge, but internally, in our hearts. We need to regard Christ as the one who is set apart, the one who is supreme. There is none like him. There is no other Messiah. There is no other Savior. There is no other way unto heaven but through Christ. He is set apart. He is holy. We need to be ready that at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Because as you live out your faith, as you pursue peace, as you love one another, people are going to start to notice there's something different in that person. A week and a half from now, many of you, maybe all of you, will go to the polls and you'll vote, which I think is a very good thing. I think that's what we should do. We need to know the issues and those types of things and go and vote. Some of you will not get what you vote for, right? How do you respond to that? Is the next two years, is the next year, is the next two months just all doom and gloom? Are your posts now filled with all the things that are going to happen, that this world's going to fall apart? Will people in the world then look to you and say, man, they're completely hopeless now because a few political leaders got voted into power? If your hope is in those political leaders, I I feel sorry for you because that's not where hope is. Hope is in a supreme God who rules over all things. And he has it all figured out. Maybe America won't be a country 100 years from now. I don't know. But that doesn't mean God's off his throne. That doesn't mean that God stopped loving you. It doesn't mean that God stopped loving me. We have hope. And our hope is so much more beyond what this world has to offer. And hopefully as we live that out, people go, man, there's something different about that person. I wonder what it is. And when they come and they say, why aren't you so panicked? Why aren't you so worried? All these things just got voted in, or all these people got voted into power now, and, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like my, my retirement's going to be out the window. I feel like in the next two years we're, we're going to be broke as a nation. And, and they go on and on and on. And you're saying, you know, that may be the case. But I know God is still God. God is still good. Maybe America falls apart, maybe it doesn't, but God still loves me and he still loves you and he wants you to know that. Verse 16, I think, tells us something interesting. It says, to do it with gentleness and respect. One thing I have found to be the case with people whose identity is firmly rooted in Christ is they are so confident that when people come out and charge them with an insult or want to harm them, they do not have to lash back because there's no fear there. When you have confidence in Christ and your identity is in Christ, you can respond to people with gentleness because you're not worried about what's going to happen with the country. You're not worried about what's going to happen with you personally. You're concerned about Christ and you're following him and you know that he is God and he is in control. And you can respond with gentleness and respect. But if your faith is not in that, if your faith is in this world, if your faith is in our political system, if your faith is in our country, and you start to see things go haywire a little bit, you may respond in a lot of negative ways. You may respond a little more with anger, frustration. And he tells us not to do that. Present the gospel, present the good news with gentleness and respect because that's, that's where hope is. Keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good name, those who speak out poorly against you and your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. There is a day that will come for all of us to stand before God the Father and there are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and there are those who have not and those who have not will finally see Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's what he's speaking about here. The, all that will come to, to pass. All that will be clear at that point. But until that day, we're, we're working with those people. We're walking among believers and unbelievers. Some believers can be just as mean as unbelievers <laughs> towards the church. But there's a whole lot of unbelievers that will, yes, they will, they will put us down. They will harm us. They will insult us. And we need to live by faith in front of them and, and be a witness for them. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience because your identity is not in this world. Your identity is in Christ. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You may suffer. You may go through hard times. You may go through difficulty. But it's better that you suffer for doing good if that's what God's desire is than for you to do evil. So don't start following the world because you think, oh, that'll give me some happiness right now if it means Rejecting Christ. Right? Follow Jesus beyond the good life. I think that's what Peter is challenging us to do here. Is that your desire? Is that your goal? Is that what you're pursuing? Am I, am I moving beyond this world and saying, I'm, I'm not going to love this world, but I'm going to love the things of God. I'm going to pursue the things of God. I'm going to pursue Christ. Even though it may cause some suffering in this world. Do it. It's worth it. Now, if you're saying sitting back going, I don't know how to know. I mean, it's always hard. How do I know if I'm really following God? How do I know if I'm really following uh, this world? And here's, here's a couple questions that might help. And it goes really back to your prayer life. Okay? If God were to answer all your prayers, all the prayers you've been praying this last week, I don't know what they are. Hey, you do. You've been praying them. If God were to answer all your prayers, then answer this question. Would your life on earth become easier, but your relationship with God stay the same? Now, I started asking myself, you know, myself that question, and it stings a little bit. I started looking through my prayer life, and I'm like, how much of my prayers are for me? And, and making my life on this earth better, more comfortable rather than improve my relationship with God. In fact, just to give you, a, you know, an example, maybe you've done this before, but uh, I've prayed in the past, as crazy as it sounds, I've prayed, God, if, if you need to teach me a lesson this week, go for it. Teach me a lesson this week. And after that week, I was like, God, I'm never praying that prayer again. <laughs> if you want to know whether God exists, okay, you're like out there, I don't know if God exists, just pray that prayer. Like, God, humble me he'll answer those questions. I mean, he'll answer those prayers, it seems like. But I also grew closer to the Lord. And there are times in my prayer, I'm like, I'm not praying that prayer again. But then I'm like, well, maybe I should. Because I know in the end I'll be closer to the Lord. I don't know what you're praying. It's convicting to me to think through my prayers and ask that question. Am I praying for things that just make my life better? Am I praying for things that will really result in change in my life? If God were to answer all your prayers, would your life be better, but the others around you unchanged? Man, your prayer, you know, your life would get increasingly better, at least on this earth, but the people around you, there would be not much difference at all. In other words, are your prayers just, again, more selfish? So, depending on how you answer that, you can answer this question then. What steps. Can you now take to intentionally move beyond loving this world to loving God and others more? What steps can you take? Maybe you're like, you know, I just have a hard time reading God's word. Listen, as we read God's word, we become more like Him. We begin to understand who He is. Now there's some difficult things to read. Don't don't start with Leviticus. Some people will be like, yeah, I started Leviticus, it's just hard. Like, yeah, it would be. You know, maybe start in a, in a New Testament book and start reading through the Gospels and learn about this Jesus, what he said and how he lived this life. Spend time with him. The people you spend time with are the people you'll become more like. Spend time with Christ. Be in prayer. Okay? So maybe that's a step. Maybe you need to spend more time with, with people in, in your church. Caring for them, loving for him, being part of a life group, being uh, with uh, the the men's forge, what we're doing on Saturday mornings. By the way, ladies, uh, there's some things in that direction going with, with the ladies in the church too, and they're putting together some women's days and ministries and things like that. So. You know, there's, there's opportunities to get plugged in and discipleship and grow. We need to be connected with each other. Maybe that's a step you need to take. I don't know what it is, but you can identify it. Maybe you're like, I just have anger and bitterness in my life, and I need to release that. I need to let it go. Maybe you need to talk through with somebody. Maybe you need to go ask forgiveness with somebody. There's some steps. Maybe there's just something in your head, and you're like, I just need to let this go. Then, then do it. And that's really the challenge. Take it. Take the steps. Take those steps to intentionally move beyond loving this world so that you can love God and love others more. So you know my, my heart, my passion. I love this past, this passage. I love the whole book. It's been great, but it's a good reminder that as a church, as a pastor of this church, I want to see this church. Grow to a point when people come in, they're like, "That is a church that loves God and loves other people." That's the reputation we have. They love God and they love other people. What a great testimony that would be, Father. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for what we see in it, Lord. These are convicting words. Your Word is always convicting. It's sharper than a double edged sword. It penetrates and it opens us up so we can see our sinfulness and we have to come and repent and lay it at your feet. Thank you for time and time again forgiving us. You, you forgive a sinner like me. You forgive all of us here in this room. We're, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that promise. We want to step out of our mess, go out into the world, and make you known. And there might be things in each of our lives that are keeping us from doing that. Help us to put them behind us and to move on so that we are drawing closer to you and that we are loving you and loving you well and we are loving others. May that be the reputation we have in our community. all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.